A remote fantastical kingdom far from Europe's chancelleries of power. An ancient castle where secrets are walled up. An unpopular monarch on the eve of his coronation. A ruling class of plotters and would-be usurpers. And a gentleman adventurer on holiday. No, not Ruritania in the 19th century, but the United Kingdom in the 21st. Stein's new book, The Prisoner of Windsor, is a contemporary inversion of Anthony Hope's classic, The Prisoner of Zender. In the original, an English gentleman on vacation is called upon to stand in for his lookalike, the King of Ruritania, at his coronation. Over a century later, a Ruritanian on vacation in London is called upon to return the favour and stand in for an Englishman in an absurd, fantastical kingdom where Brexit never quite happened. Plots are afoot. The Prisoner of Windsor by Mark Stein. Available in hardback and digital editions or for a personally autographed copy, go to steinonline.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. December 13th, 2023. It is 3 p.m. North American Eastern Time, 4 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, 4.30 p.m. in fabulous Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 8 p.m. in London and Dublin, 9 p.m. in Paris and Berlin, 10 p.m. in Kiev, where Zelensky is furious that all the focus is now on Tel Aviv. 11 p.m. in Moscow, 11.30 p.m. in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. 1.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 4 a.m. in Singapore and Honkers. Um, Sorry about that. 7 a.m. In Sydney and Melbourne, I'm still kind of sorry. 9am in Auckland, a far more civilised hour for the Kippers and Kedgeree, and even deeper into Thursday in His Majesty's Dominions across the Pacific. Great to be back with you in this season of Advent. We shall have some uh, festive content on today's show. Uh, Because as uh, one of our commenters uh, quoted, we need a little Christmas. Uh, 400 years ago today, December 13th, 1623, Plymouth Colony established that their American settlements would retain the English system of 12-man juries for trials held in their jurisdiction. That seems to have fallen by the wayside. In my own trial, uh, thanks to 
the geniuses of the US Supreme Court permitting such things. Uh, But in my own trial, commencing January 16th at the DC Superior Court, we shall have a six-man jury. And in fact, the judge wanted to reduce it further to five. I said rather intemperately that five wasn't a jury. It was a bridge party with someone to pour the drinks. Uh, His honour, his lordship, can't remember what you call him uh, here, his uh, his lordship didn't care for that. Uh, But on the other hand, he hasn't brought up the subject again. So there's that. 80 years ago, December 13th, 1943, the Germans massacred virtually the entire male population of the Greek town of Calavrita, 438 men and boys died. 13 males survived, just 13, because they were buried under the bodies of the dead. The Wehrmacht then herded the women and girls into the local schoolhouse, which they promptly set alight. Fortunately, the females found a way to escape. 20 years ago, December 13th, 2003, the Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein, on the lamb since his overthrow by the Coalition of the Willing, was captured in his spider hole near his hometown of Tikrit. Two decades ago today, two decades... It's the Christmas season at Stein Online. Special programming all through Advent. Hope you heard our brand new 7-8 radio song of the week last weekend with Dana and Don Black and Tim Rice. And do check out the Stein store. We've got lots of fun stuff, including, of course, The Prisoner of Windsor, uh, my latest book, which is proving highly prescient. Read the subverted Brexit and the general state of uh, British politics, and indeed Western politics in the larger sense. We also have the limited edition Stein Online Liberty Stick. I sign and number each one, and all proceeds go to support the ruinous costs of the aforementioned Man versus Stein case. Uh, as I mentioned, the trial has been rescheduled for January 16th at the District of Columbia Uh, courthouse. So one way or another, we're going ahead. Oh, and don't forget the ultimate Christmas present for your loved one, a stateroom on the Mark Stein Caribbean cruise, a week of sun, sea and civilizational collapse with Ava Villardingerbrook, Conrad Black, Leilani Dowding, Bo Snurdly, Michelle Buckman, on and on. Go to MarkSteinCruise.com for more info. It'll be after Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, so you won't be missing anything. (laughs) And you could just do like everybody else does and get a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend uh, to mail your ballot in, uh, even in uh, another state that you've never lived in. Oh, and uh, speaking of uh, New Hampshire, my governor, Chris Sununu, is encouraging Democrats and independents to vote in the Republican primary in January in order to deprive Trump of his 30-point lead in the state and deliver the Granite State to Mr. Sununu's preferred candidate, Nikki Haley, so we can all get on with the Third World War, which she's panting hot for. Lots of breaking news at this hour. Hunter Biden went to Congress to announce uh, he won't be going to Congress 
uh, to testify, that is. The U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to review the federal statute on obstruction of an official proceeding. That's the characteristically garbage federal law that's been used to jail the January 6th protesters and to charge Donald J. Trump in the hopes of getting him banged up in jail for the rest of his natural life uh, or unnaturally foreshortened life if it goes the way it does with uh, a lot of fellas in the US uh, prison system. At COP28, if you've been following that, and why would you? But at COP28, the entire world has endorsed the European Union's 2030 energy targets. Uh, Donald Tusk, speaking of Eurocrats, has become Prime Minister of Poland. That is not good uh, news. Okay, enough of all that stuff. Let us get to your questions. Chris Davis says, Mark, I hope this finds you well. Have you ever seen a better example of cynical political distraction than the Rwanda bill bait and switch vote yesterday? This was in the Imperial Parliament at Westminster. And if you haven't been following the Rwanda thing, this is, uh, it, it embodies the pointlessness of politics in the United Kingdom and much of the rest of the West. Uh, the UK, this is going back a couple of prime ministers now, so it's going back at least three weeks. I think it was my old chum Boris Johnson who did a deal with uh, his Commonwealth colleagues in Rwanda that Rwanda would take uh, various of the people scrambling ashore on the beaches of England every night and having to be housed in five-star hotels up and down the land because, uh, frankly, Britain's run out of five-star hotels to put, put them in. Uh, So he did a deal with the government of Rwanda by which they'd agree to take some of these people while they were processed. Their refugee claims were processed. Uh, Then the court struck it down. Then they appealed the court decision. Uh, Then the uh, higher court struck it down, blah, 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 blah. You know, uh, in however long we've been talking about Rwanda... Not a single person has been put on a plane to Rwanda. Uh, That's the background of that. Uh, Anyway, Chris Davis continues, Not one so-called member of the Tory right opposed the reading of the bill, although 37 MPs have splinters in their buttocks from abstention, the coward's choice. All this hullabaloo over maybe 200 migrants a year going on an exchange program with vulnerable Rwandans. (laughs) You're very optimistic, 200 a year. When current net migration is around 14,000 a week legal and 700 a week illegal. They are official figures from the Home Office, so of course they must be true. UK politics from the unconservative and non-unionist party is even more mired in the gutter than the US justice system. What say you, says Chris? Yeah, bait and switch is right. The thing is... You know, I often, politics is theatre, but it's bad theatre because, you know, if it's good theatre, if it's a good play, the play may uh, illuminate the times we live in. 
The, uh, the, the, the crappy third-rate dinner theatre of politics in the UK and the United States and uh, most of Western Europe and most of His Majesty's dominions is designed to do exactly the opposite. It is designed to obscure the condition in which we live. Um, so the whole idea now is they're setting up this FACO battle. It's like, it's not really, it's an insult to good theatre to call it theatre. It's more like one of those fake wrestling competitions, uh, WWF or whatever it's called. And so the idea is that the Rwanda, oh, it's the big issue, the Rwandan thing. We're talking about it all the time on GB News when we're not talking about Harry and Meghan. Uh, and so this is the big thing. We're all going to be following it. All the newspapers are going to be, if you listen to uh, the BBC in the morning and you watch ITV at night, oh, Rwanda, Rwanda, Rwanda. Is it going to split the Conservative Party? Is it going to decide the Conservative Oh, Rwanda bill's passed. Oh, Rwanda bill has now been amended in the House of Lords. Oh, Rwanda bill's been modified. But it's passed again. Oh, now it's gone to a court. Oh, the court doesn't like it. But oh, and in the end, in the end, as Chris says, this is arguing over, well, he says maybe 200 migrants a year. I would be surprised if it's that much. Uh, bearing in mind that these guys can actually appeal it to the European Court of Human Rights. Meanwhile, as he says, What's the figure he puts on? He says current net migration is around 14,000 a week. I don't talk about net migration. Let's just go on the last year's numbers. People say uh, for net migration, it's three quarters of a million. Uh, and for uh, total migration, that's the, it's 1.2 something million. Uh, but uh, they talk about the net migration figure because half a million people are so sick of the United Kingdom, they've pissed off. They've gone elsewhere. They've given up the land they were raised in and gone to settle somewhere else. Uh, so, so the net figure doesn't count because what it is, is it's 1.2 million newcomers, basically almost all of them from places that are bloody difficult uh, to assimilate, even if there was any pressure to assimilate, which there isn't. You know, the Albanian males come in and immediately start doing all the stuff they did back in Albania, which is super dodgy. So uh, 1.2, this is from a conservative party that promised David Cameron. Do you remember him? Oh, of course you do. You can't forget him because he's back now. Uh, in the House of Lords as Foreign Secretary. David Cameron uh, promised to reduce immigration to tens of thousands in 2010. Here we are in 2023, and it's a million and a quarter people a year. That's the death of your nation, those numbers. Makes everything unaffordable. I mean, we I keep seeing these stupid think pieces about generation rent, uh, you know, written by people in their early 20s, late 20s, mid 30s, late 40s, complaining that they can't afford to buy a one-room flat. Well, the reason you can't afford to buy a one-room flat is because there's a million and a quarter people uh, coming in each year, and they've all got, as we see with these guys in the five-star hotels, they've all got greater claims 
on the state's largesse than you. You know, I, I used to say when I would point out that this is an utterly worthless and fraudulent Conservative Party, they, people would say, I still get tons of emails from the UK like that. Oh, yes, but the Labour Party would be worse. Actually, no, because the Labour Party are op openly in favour of the crap. And if people vote for the crap because the party is openly in favour of the crap, it doesn't matter whether you're talking uh, about open borders or whether you're uh, talking about uh, redefining uh, biology to mean that some uh, six foot three guy uh, covered in hair and uh, dangling his meat and two veg all over the ladies' showers is in fact as much of a woman as uh, the late and much-missed Raquel Welch was. They're openly in favour of it. They're openly in favour of all the rubbish. And uh, it's tragic that so many millions of people are prepared to vote for the rubbish in Britain, America, Europe, wherever. Uh, but that is democracy in action. When you have a party that is in favour of all the rubbish, but lies and presents itself as being opposed to all the rubbish, that, corro that is corrosive and corrupting of democracy. And so if we are to have a, a uniparty, you know, whatever you vote for, you get the same old policies uh, in London, in Washington, in Ottawa, in Canberra, wherever... Uh, then the, the, the party that, uh, that at least is openly in favour of that stuff is, is, uh, is, is better for the health of self-government than a bunch of liars like David Cameron, like every Tory leader from David Cameron, David Cameron, Theresa May, I can barely remember, David Cameron, Theresa May, whoever the next ones were, and then Rishi Sunak. I do believe that the destruction of the uh, Conservative and Unionist Party, or as Chris Davis calls it, the unconservative and non-unionist party, and a realignment on the right. The, the thing about it is there are, there are millions of people who want an alternative, and there's no party that is uh, sincerely offering them an, um, an alternative. Rishi Sunak is just the creature of whoever put him into office. So uh, I would be in favour of the utter... I, I think the priority is the utter destruction of the Conservative Party. Jeff Estes writes, Hi Mark, if you were a bookie at Paddy Power, what are the odds that the UK will deport one, quote, refugee to Rwanda? Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, that's a most interesting point, isn't it? At the moment, and this is a good example of exactly why politics is so much a waste of time. We have been talking about, in Britain, this stupid Rwanda po uh, policy uh, for whatever it is now, two years, and not a single person has been deported to Rwanda. Now we're supposed to be talking about it for at least another year, at least until the election, because it's supposed to present the Tories as being butch on immigration. It's, it's as, as I said, it's not even, when I, I used to say it's just bad dinner theatre, that's an insult really to dinner theatre, which isn't this dishonest. It is just 
like super fake uh, wrestling. Uh, don't play along with it. Uh, just a guy in Hong Kong uh, writes, uh, Hi, Mark. I hope you can stay healthy and that the state apparatuses of the Western world can be repelled in their push to slow you down. I found you originally as a rush guest host, then got put onto your books. What an accurate forecast of where we are with immigration. As I look at the U.S. immigration issue... Uh, which seems more aligned religiously with the U.S., if not culturally, uh, though still burdensome for the states to onboard so many untold millions of people with largely no benefit in return. Now, now, just a guy in Hong Kong. That's what got Trump into trouble. Trump was the first person in years at the top level of American politics to talk about immigration in terms of its benefit to the people who are already here. Immigration is a public policy, like any other. It's like deciding whether you're going to build a new parking lot uh, to ease uh, congestion in the village street. It's no different than that. It's a matter of public policy, and it... And it and uh, it should be addressed as a matter, matter of cost-benefit analysis uh, for the people who are already here. Um, just a guy in Hong Kong continues, in Europe it seems worse, if only because their immigration is from cultures which seek to destroy and reform their host countries into the places they came from. I wonder, has any politician been pressed on either side of the Atlantic about the cost of such foolishness when their nations are already hugely in debt and how they think they can even attempt to solve the debt issue and leave immigration unaddressed? What was their response? I hope you kick bleep in your legal battles too. I can't believe how long it's been since I bought a gift certificate when the fight just began. Uh, take care. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Just a guy in Hong Kong trying to get by. Yeah, those gift certificates, uh, we still have them. And uh, they're fun for uh, if you've got uh, a Stein fan or potential Stein fan in your family. Uh, do uh, go to the Stein store and uh, pick up one of our uh, gift certificates. Thank you for reminding me of that, just a guy in Hong Kong. Look, I, I don't agree with it. This idea of being more aligned religiously uh, than the immigrants to Europe, that isn't really going to make any difference. To the, Europe is in for a terrible, a terrible fate. The demographic en energy in Ireland, in England, in France, in Germany, in Sweden, is with Islam. Uh, and the idea that uh, people who have resisted assimilation when their portion of the proportion of the population is 1%, 2%, 4%, 6%, are suddenly going to embrace assimilation when they are 25, 30, 40% is completely absurd. But that goes for uh, the United States too. Um, you know, all oh, Hispanics are natural conservatives. That's, I, I, I love Charles Crowdham. He was a very sweet man. But uh, on, on uh, 
the immigration issue, he didn't think, just as uh, possibly because he doesn't want to think about it, because it's actually unpleasant. The truth is unpleasant. In North America, uh, North America was settled for the most part by Anglo-Celts, and you have had, uh, with the exception of the U.S. Civil War, um, but you have had in both the Dominion of Canada and the United States, uh, you have had a continuous, peaceful, political evolution um, uh, for uh, whatever it is, you know, for, for the, uh, the centuries, as accepting the U.S. Civil War and the American Revolution now for three or four centuries. And that is uh, the, the, the societies that, uh, whether you are a fan of the constitutional republic south of the border or the constitutional monarchy north of the border, by most measures, uh, starting with the economic ones, they're two of the most successful societies in history. South of the United States, south of the Rio Grande, you have police chiefs with reflector shades, uh, you have uh, presidents for life. Uh, you have a, a, at the hardcore end uh, drug cartels running those governments and basically killing anyone who is minded to do anything about it. And you have uh, uh, from time to time dictators who take their political enemies, fly them a little ways offshore and uh, drop them out over the Atlantic. It's complete. So the idea that, oh, they're natural conservatives. Oh, and they're the same religion as us too. There's no reason to become a third world country. That's America's fate. You know, and, it, and these are differences of degree. I mean, it's one thing, you know, all the argue, all the people waving the Constitution. No, your, our Constitution is much better than your Constitution. In the end, the difference is between the United States and the Dominion of Canada are minimal. The, the differences between Colombia or Paraguay or Guatemala or Venezuela, never mind all the people from the rest of the world walking in across the Rio Grande, are profound. And there's no, there is, unless your ambition is... Unless the goal is to utterly destroy the West, these, the immigration on this scale makes no sense. Um, I always quote the line, the Trump line, when he was complaining about all the bleephole countries. And he wanted to know why we didn't have more immigrants from Norway. No Norwegian has any reason. If you're one of five million, you know, uh, Norwegians living in one of the most prosperous countries in the world. You don't really have a, you know, you don't, there's not really any compelling reason to go and chance uh, things in Seattle or whatever. But even if everybody in Norway moved to the United States tomorrow, that would only equal the official number uh, that has been admitted uh, by Biden across the southern border. Uh, since he took office. There's no way, there aren't enough people in the developed world to counter uh, the admission of unskilled third world immigrants. Um, and by the time, and people are still sentimental about it. Uh, I, I mentioned the other week, John Podhoritz, 
John and his father are two of the sharpest minds around, but they're complete. They, 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 it's, it's, they turn into complete sob sisters, uh, wailing with tears at the foot of the Statue of Liberty and that crappy poem that disfigured the statue. Because as I always say, uh, the French gave the Americans a pretty great Statue of Liberty and the Americans stapled that lousy poem to the bottom of it and turned it into a crappy statue of immigration. And you're going to have, you're running out of time. I mean, realistically, several European countries now are out of time. I don't know what's, I don't know, uh, they're going to become, as you, as you see, I mean, people, people express surprise that the mayor of London and the first minister of Scotland are Muslim. But that's what happens. You know, if you think that you can stick a Muslim in a kilt and he's still as uh, Scottish as Mel Gibson, it doesn't work like that. Because for a start, uh, Muslims uh, don't like to show their legs below, above the knee, you know. So there goes your kilt. There are consequences to this, and the consequences are going to be violent. And you, the, the least you can do is demand uh, that, uh, that the political class talk, talk honestly about this, and particularly people who claim to be conservative. Um, I think we have a question coming up. I saw. I think I saw it just riffling uh, down through the through the questions. I, th I think we have a question about Victor Orban. You can say what you like about Victor Orban. He may not. If you're if you're a Nikki Haley type, he's not. He's not your kind. But he talks honestly about this, and he says uh, Hungary doesn't believe in diversity. We don't want to be diverse. And he's quite right about that, because experimenting with diversity on the scale that Western nations have been doing is going to condemn uh, millions and millions of people uh, to appalling futures riven with either violence or dictatorship. Uh, and that is, uh, alas, just a, uh, a sad fact. It's uh, the first duty of a statesman is prudence. And this is all highly imprudent. Um, let us pause for a seasonal interlude. Apropos my complaints, uh, I think this was last week, about the hideously corrupt regime at the life-endangering University of Vermont Medical Center charging me $7,600 for a small can of Minute Maid apple juice. <laughs> Someone, I think either at Stein Online or on Twitter or whatever, uh, but on I think on one of us somewhere, uh, commented, uh, I've, we've had a lot of comments on the US system. I think it was Hugo Miller commented that uh, he'd gone into hospital for a little something or other, and uh, he'd had a, subsequently had a bill for $20,000. Um, these are not market rates, by the way. Although all these people who say that the American healthcare system is a market system, it's not at all. It, there's no genuine market. You know, a going to a movie, a movie ticket has a market price. Uh, the, the, that is determined by what the public will wear to see X-Men 37 or Cardboard Man 42. There's no market price in the U.S. medical system, which is why I got a bill for $7,600 uh, 
uh, for spending two hours at uh, the University of Mont Vermont Medical Center, getting no medical treatment, but getting, as I said, a small can of uh, Minute made apple juice. Uh, but aside from the general observations on the US medical system, uh, I do remember that one commenter, I can't find his name now, uh, remarked that Denny Lane of the big rock group Wings died a few days ago and that his wife, now his widow, had had to start a GoFundMe page for his medical expenses. Denny was from Tisley. Uh, which no disrespect to any Brummies listening, but is a rather unprepossessing part of Birmingham, England, uh, which is where I first met him. But Denny chose to live the big rock star life in America and eventually settled in Florida. And I was a little stunned on hearing about that GoFundMe appeal because Denny Lane wrote one of the biggest selling records of all time, it was the first uh, single to sell over 2 million copies in the UK, and it was a hit across the planet, and it has been recorded uh, by over 100 other performers, including some pretty big ones, uh, Glenn Campbell and Susan Boyle and uh, Celtic Thunder, and yet none of that was enough to cover Denny Lane's end-of-life medical expenses in the Sunshine State. This isn't really a Christmas song. It's about Paul McCartney's pad on a peninsula in uh, northwestern Scotland, western Scotland, I suppose, that sort of dangles down uh, toward Northern Ireland. But it was number one at Christmas, and so I always associate it with the season. Christmas 1977, Macca and Denny Lane rhapsodising about the land. Ball of Kintyre on this strolling in from the sea My desire is always to be on Ball of Kintyre Far have I travelled and much have I Dark distant mountains with valleys of green Past painted deserts, the sun sets on fire As he carries me home to the Mall of
McCartney and Denny Lane, Wings by name, with all those great Highland bagpipes played by Paul and Linda's neighbours, uh, the Campbelltown Pipe Band from nearby Campbelltown, Mull of Kintar, words and music by Paul McCartney and the late Denny Lane. Number one for weeks on end in the United Kingdom, number one in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, number one in West Germany, Switzerland, Austria, Belgium, the Netherlands. And poor Denny Lane still needed a GoFundMe page to pay the health costs of his final illness in Florida. Oh my. The Yuletide Hit Parade blockbuster from Christmas 1977 Mull of Kintar, oh mist rolling in from the sea, my desire is always to be here. Wonder what the local hospital's like in Campbelltown. Also from the showbiz obituaries, although it didn't make as much news as the passing of Denny Lane, Lola D. Born in Chicago in 1928, at the age of 14, she was a regular on ABC's Junior Junction in the early days of telly, and uh, signed to a recording contract with Mercury. At the age of 16, she grossed a whopping $47,375 on seven dates in various ballrooms in and around uh, the Chicago area. She and the crew cuts broke the house record at the Orpheum Theatre in Madison, Wisconsin, and in two gigs at the Music Hall of Purdue University, she pulled in 11,000 customers. Lola Dee had the kind of voice that a lot of female singers had in the 1950s, and then tastes changed, and there are very few voices like that around these days. But she kept going. She toured with Bob Hope and Jimmy Durante, and she left us a few days ago at the age of 95, having outlived her celebrity by many decades. This was her Christmas song, a modest hit, but she put it over. Jingle jangle. Claus with his red suit on. Dig that walk that 
talk Man, oh man, he's really gone Now dig that crazy Santa Claus With his bag of toys Drags his sack through a chimney stack All the little hip cats jump for joy Cool it, Rudolph, cool it With your nose aglow Tell those groovy reindeer When Santa starts to blow Dig that crazy Santa Claus with his red suit on. Dig that walk, that crazy talk. Man, oh man, he's really gone. Dig that crazy Santa Claus with his bag of toys. Chimney stack, all the little hip cats jump for joy. Cool it, Rudolph, cool it with your nose aglow. Tell those groovy reindeer when Santa starts to blow. Go, go, dig that crazy Santa Claus. Well, I do believe he will bring some crazy toys, so you better be good this Christmas Eve. Digs that crazy Santa Claus, 16-year-old Lola, 16 years old, uh, with Ralph Martari and his orchestra and chorus, Christmas 1954, written by Leon René and his son Googie René with Albert Johnston. The René family were talented guys. Leon René cooked up Rockin' Robin and with his brother Otis René, Wrote a song I absolutely adore. Someone's rockin' my dreamboat. Yeah! Dig that crazy Santa Claus. And for a brief moment, America dug Lola D. Uh, dead at uh, 95. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A, live around the planet. It is 18 to 9, Greenwich Mean Time. A little behind, a lot ahead, according to where you chance to be on this turbulent earth. Let's get back to your questions. Tim Nielsen says, Hi Mark, I recall that you invented the phrase undocumented American as a burlesque of the euphemisms of the illegal immigration lobby, only for it to start to be solemnly intoned by society's enlightened progressive intellectuals along with boffo jests like comprehensive immigration reform. Yeah, I did actually. This is, I started referring to, because people talk about, you know, Hispanic Americans and African Americans. And so I used to talk about fine upstanding members of the undocumented American community. And then, uh, what was that guy called? Uh, he was the Senate Majority Leader, uh, Harry Reid. Harry Reid used the phrase undocumented Americans in a uh, speech 
uh, so-called, on the floor of the United States Senate. And of course, when he says undocumented Americans, he's actually telling you that actual U.S. citizenship is entirely worthless. Um, and you're right about comprehensive immigration reform. One of those terrible uh, candidates on those Republican debates, the last one, uh, I think, used the phrase comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, no Republican should be using that. Uh, every uh, That is a phrase cooked up by Democrats to avoid honest discussion. Nobody needs comprehensive immigration reform. The laws are all there. They're just not being enforced. But they're being... Uh, non-enforced highly selectively. So if you come across the southern border uh, and <laughs> you're in MS-13 or you're bringing in fentanyl or whatever, uh, no immigration laws or, or you're riddled with uh, whatever the latest COVID variant is or whatever, uh, no immigration laws are enforced. If you're a snowbird, if you're an octogenarian snowbird uh, flying down to your condo in Florida, uh, for six weeks in the winter, you will be subjected to the the idea that the idea that uh, America just simply lacks the correct laws to do anything about this problem is complete bollocks. As any law-abiding Canadian, or indeed a French businessman uh, who has a couple of business meetings in New York and is going to be uh, staying at the Carlisle for two days, any of those people can tell you that the United States government is perfectly capable of comprehensively enforcing its comprehensive immigration laws when it wants to. It chooses not to. And it's one thing for, as I said, it's this goes back to the point I was making at the beginning, that dishonest public discourse corrupts and corrodes self-government. So it's one thing for Democrats uh, to talk about the need for comprehensive immigration reform um, because they're trying to put one over on the public. The correct response when you hear a Republican talk about comprehensive immigration reform, I can't remember which ca which candidate this this was. Was it Tim Scott? I can't remember. I can't, was it Chris Christie? I can't remember. But whoever it was, the correct response when a Republican... So wait a minute, you're just interested in flim-flamming the public too. Um, Tim Nielsen continues, similarly, George Orwell's 1984, if you haven't read that book, uh, relax, you don't need to bother reading it because you can hear me narrating it as part of Tales for Our Time, if you join the Mark Stein Club. I did it rather well, in fact. I did the, the really traumatic passages uh, with the torture and everything. I did so well that it, it actually... Um, it, uh, I, I sort of damaged myself. I was so into it. I'm not saying I was going full Robert De Niro uh, and uh, and uh, getting. Um, I don't want to make it sound like I was getting over motivated or whatever. But uh, as Victoria Principle said of her acting in the famous season finale of Dallas, uh, some of it's almost credible. Anyway, that's 1984, uh, in which, says Tim Nielsen, George Orwell describes the government increase increasing the chocolate ration from 30 grams to 20 grams. 
And now the Australian government has unveiled its plan to reduce immigration over the next five years by 185,000 people, thus changing the projected number of immigrants in that period. <laughs> from, <laughs> is this true? <laughs> uh, from one, they are a very... Uh, this is uh, thus uh, reducing the projected number of immigrants from 1.5 million to 1.6 million. Is there any satire so wacky and zany that our self-appointed elites can't turn it into reality? And do you ever self-censor for fear of giving them more ideas? No, you know a lot of people say today that the uh, the the gap between uh conspiracy theory and fact is about six months or whatever the joke is uh, but it's actually also true that the gap between a joke and reality is getting shorter and shorter and shorter um and uh, my my problem I, which i think a lot of people the, the thing is it's very hard to do satire in an age, uh, you know, when uh, guys uh, with uh, five o'clock shadow uh, and no breasts and uh, evident protuberances elsewhere in their bathing suits are competing in the girls' swimming championship. It makes it, it's just very hard to do. Ours is not an age for satire because uh, every every it, it satire is effortlessly outpaced. Uh, just by picking up a newspaper. It's very bad, that. Eric Dale writes, Mark, what are your thoughts on the rumour that Venezuela may invade Guyana? Apparently, oil has been discovered in a disputed region, and now we may have a new war in South America. What should be Western involvement? Yeah, Venezuela, which is a, a country that has chosen to destroy itself, uh, under uh, Hugo Chavez and his successor, Maduro. And uh, they took a poll, and uh, Venezuela has an ancient claim on part of Guyana. And uh, it's not a small claim, it's over half the country. And uh, so the Venezuelan people have said, we think this is a part of Guyana, which leads to the conclusion, okay, what are you going to do to get it back? And uh, if they do try to get it back, um, because they got nothing going for them otherwise, this is exactly like what happened in Argentina, where General Galtieri chose to invade the Falklands as a distraction from the domestic dump that the junta had made of Argentina. This is a kind of analogous situation. Um, I, when you talk about Western involvement, Guyana used to be British Guyana. That was its name. Uh, instead of a Y, it was with an I. And to this day, the Guyanan defense forces, are all, all their officers are trained at the Royal Military Academy at uh, Sandhurst and whatever it's called, uh, the uh, Navy at the um, Britannia Naval College. Um, and I, I think, so I think this is a Commonwealth matter. I certainly don't think anybody, you know, after what we've seen in Ukraine, I don't think uh, we'd be doing the Guyanans any favours getting the military-industrial complex mixed up 
in their poor, blameless, undeserving country. But if Rishi Sunak weren't a complete crap wanker ass, I would be in favour of uh, sending a small, you know, British uh, military detachment of trainers uh, who are often there anyway. I mean, uh, on those Guyanese bases, uh, a lot of the training of the Commonwealth Caribbean troops goes on in Guyana. So I would be in favour of a small detachment from the UK just because I think it, it gives it gives sufficient pause. You know, it's one thing to invade somewhere that's just got its own little local army. It's a diff kind of slightly different thing when you've got NATO uh, troops on the ground or a semi-serious military power on the ground. The, 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 the similar situation in Belize vis-a-vis -vis Guatemala, a, a you know, really tiny number of UK troops uh, in the 1980s deterred Guatemala uh, from in invading there, but do I want no? You know, I don't want. I don't want to be seeing votes in Congress giving another hundred and fifty-seven bazillion dollars uh, to uh, to Guyana as their young men basically just die in the meat grinder of a uh, of an of a uh, of a terrible war. That basically serves the interest of the of the people who are laundering all the money, and uh, sluicing all the uh, uh, weapons projects to that. I certainly don't want that. Tom Lewis says, uh, "What are your thoughts on Victor Orban versus the EU? <laughs> Stay healthy, Buck. Yeah, um, uh, Victor Orban is not to everybody's tastes, but he's. I mentioned what he said about diversity." Uh, the EU is has been mad at him for years. Uh, Ursula, v v that's her name. Is it? What did? Oh, I always used to call her Cruella von der Leyen, didn't I? <laughs> I'm forgetting my own lame, running, belly limping jokes now. Anyway, uh, Cruella von der Leyen, the uh, president of the EU, so called, uh, has denounced. Uh, Victor Orban, because they in the schools they're not allowed to promote uh, gender identity, so called, and homosexuality, and uh, you can have a different point of view about that. Um, but you know, the the question is, which is weirder? Uh, what uh, the United States does, which is uh, teach teach people, teach children. Not, you know, around the time they're sort of waking up feeling a little horny and restless uh, when they're 12, 13, 14 or whatever. But in kindergarten and grade one, uh, encouraging, uh, in, in actually inflicting a huge amount of human misery by encouraging people uh, to think something that is uh, a nonsense and is actually an evil nonsense that uh, so-called gender is just a social construct. And you can have a penis and be a girl. Uh, and uh, you uh, can have no penis and be a boy. And uh, we're happy, and that's perfectly normal, and we're happy to slice off your breasts uh, so you'll be a more convincing boy, at least until anybody, uh, you know, slips your shorts off in the shower. You know, um, 
I don't find that. I can. So when uh, the European Union tells Victor Orban, oh, this is evil, what you're doing, you're not promoting gender identity in your schools. No, uh, you know, to use another line, we are the baddies. We are, we are inflicting terrible confusion on children, which is an evil thing to do. And I find, you know, Victor Orban, people say, oh, well, he's a bit authoritarian and he's not a great respecter of free speech. Do you think we are? Do you think we are? I was taken off air in the United Kingdom um, because of uh, the problems I discerned in the so-called miracle vaccines, the great British success story of AstraZeneca that's now been withdrawn. Even if you like it, you can't bloody well get it uh, unless you go to Africa where they've dumped uh, a whole lot of unwanted vaccines on that on a uh, poor benighted continent uh, that's actually rather healthier than the old mother country because uh, those guys simply ignored the COVID and as a result, they don't have uh, the depressed fertility and, uh, <clears throat> and the uh, myocarditis in young men and all the rest of it. I don't talk to me about, oh, Victor Orban, he's, uh, he's, uh, he he's, uh, 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 represses the speech of his enemy. Have you looked at what they're doing in that stupid COVID inquiry in the UK? Have you looked at what they did uh, to, uh, they're doing in doc with doctors where you could get struck off in California if you happen to have a different view of the COVID? He's right. He's right on a lot of these things. Um, he doesn't want to get mixed up. He doesn't want to expand the Ukraine war because he lives next to Ukraine. That's how I got into Ukraine was via Hungary. That's real. That's real to him. It's not just a profit opportunity like it is in Washington. It's not just uh, like, I mean, that was a fabulous moment on that debate when Vivek Ramaswamy asked Nikki Haley to the, the name three of the provinces that she thinks are inviolably Ukrainian now and forever. And she wants to keep waging the war. She couldn't name them. She's in, she's in favor of, the thir of a third world war over, you know, at least Neville Chamberlain said uh, Czechoslovakia was a faraway country of which we know little. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki Haley isn't even that self-aware and she knows far less about Ukraine uh, than uh, Neville Chamberlain knew about uh, Czechoslovakia. So, you know, uh, Viktor Orban is real in a way that uh, the people, um, the, the, the decadence, he's quite right. The, 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 the schoolgirl mutilation thing is is evil and victor orban whatever you think about him he isn't evil in that profound sense um russell says hi mark do you think this is the least creative period in history i listen to the current music browse current fiction look at recently created art and think we're on a steep road to oblivion i'm the same age as you and try to remember that my father probably thought exactly the same at our age. I can't see creativity improving with the advent of machine learning and artificial intelligence. 
What do you think? Have we peaked or is it me just growing old? Um, well, I don't like that. It, you're right uh, that, uh, you know, when you worry that your father probably was saying the same thing at, uh, at your age. My father <laughs> didn't. He had this trick which would just like blow them. I, I have a, a cousin of mine in Toronto uh, is really, he's always been into the Rolling Stones. And um, he particularly, I, he particularly likes uh, Keith Richard or Keith Richards. I think he's changed his name to now. Whatever it is, anyway, he particularly. <laughs> and so I remember at dinner, uh, you know, uh, my cousin Chris arguing that the Rolling Stones were way better than Al Jolson. And my father said, oh, that's ridiculous. Keith Richard says he learned everything he knows from Al Jolson. <laughs> and my poor cousin was completely thrown by this. Uh, he went, uh, really? Did he? <laughs> uh, and that was my father's way of handling it. But I was never like that. You know, when I was on The Independent, uh, when we launched that newspaper, uh, whenever it was, I was always of the view that, you know, pop pop music had been declining since before I was born. So I wasn't one of these people who liked the stuff, you know, when I was, I, I wasn't one of these people who says, oh, you know, uh, Ed Sheeran doesn't compare with the Sex Pistols or whatever, because I thought the Sex Pistols were rubbish. And so I think you have to take a slightly longer view of it. You can look at the entire 20th century as an exercise in the decline of melody and harmony. But I'm not even going to talk about the little, because you know the kind of pop music uh, that I like. Most people do. But I think if you take great art, you know, where are the symphonies? Where, where are the great popular operas? You know, if you uh, go back to when uh, Puccini died in, 19, I think it's 1924, a century ago, more or less, you know, opera died with him. When you look at paintings, if you look at what wins the prize, if you look at the, you know, I like a guy who can uh, paint a beautiful landscape. I like a guy who can, if he's going to do portraits, I expect him to be able to paint hands, which can be very difficult. Um, but when you, you you look at the, you you say current music, current fiction, oh, you should read The Prisoner of Windsor on that one, uh, recently created. I think if you go back and you look at anything before the First World War, if you look at any of that, certain arts have completely died. And then when you look at, so I will bring it back to the, the popular, so people say, oh, well, you know, we don't need opera because we've got really great pop songs. Are you sure about that? Are you entirely sure about that? Oh, and uh, we, we, we don't need fantastic plays or novels because we have sitcoms. Okay, the sitcom was a great popular form, but that's running on fumes. I think there's, I don't think it's anything to do with, you know, what my dad was into, because I take the long view on this thing. And I, I, you know, when I look at the, some of the things that we read on Tales for Our Time, or uh, some of those 19th century novels, you know, I, I think it's, I think, I think if you uh, 
compare Jane Austen with the book that's just won the Booker Prize, which is this thing about Ireland. I can't even remember the name of the guy or the name of the book, but it's about Ireland, that uh, an Ireland that uh, succumbs to dictatorship. And you think, oh, that's a really interesting book because a uh, great idea for a novel because right now all the progressives in Dublin are killing freedom of speech in this bill that's going to become law in Ireland any day now. Oh, no, 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 that's not what he means. He's talking about a right-wing dictatorship where some shillelagh-wielding Trump takes power in Dublin. How out of it do you have to be? Right now, right now, uh, if you were to do a book about what's going on in Ireland, this new law would forbid it. You know, but if you want to publish some, it's the same thing, like, it's the same as uh, um, uh, the, uh, what's it called? The Handmaid's Tale. You know, The Handmaid's Tale, a novel about an American, America that becomes a right-wing theocracy. Oh, I wish. <laughs> right now, you know, this, this might as well just be state propaganda. But this, uh, but, you know, in, fa in fairness to Margaret Atwood, she is a skilled writer. As I understand it, this guy's book is just, you know, the most leaden propaganda. But he, he, he wrote it while getting a stipend uh, from the government <laughs> to write a book. So you get a, you get a grant uh, from the left-wing government to write a book about how the threat to Ireland comes from a right-wing government, and somehow that's supposed to be edgy and transgressive? <laughs> no. We're running on... Our culture is running on fumes. Running on fumes. Joseph Dornish says, Hello, Mark, with your extensive knowledge of Christmas music, what's at the top of the Christmas music rotation at the Stein household? Well, you know... Uh, there's there's a sep there's a professional Christmas for me as you know we do a lot of Christmas programming uh, at Stein Online so I'm always I'm all, I'm generally busy picking out songs Christmas songs for uh, that would make appropriate theme music for Tales for Our Time or uh, right now I'm busy you know. Uh, for our Christmas Eve show, we, we do uh, basically a Christmas Eve service of lessons and carols, which we've done for the last few years. And, you know, we do all the old carols, but in distinctive and intimate arrangements. So uh, part of that is listening to Hark the Herald Angels Sing and uh, Oh Little Town of Bethlehem and trying to figure out who'd be good for Oh Little Town of Bethlehem and who'd be good for Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And once I've done that, I don't really have a lot of time left over for, um, for actually putting on a CD and listening to it for pleasure. I will say that increasingly, um, you know, I, I, what I like, I like what we played last week when I played... Uh, uh, Prokofiev's Troika, that I do like really great instrumental music at Christmas. I like Mozart's uh, Schlitten Fart and uh, 
I, I, I like the Nutcracker uh, be, uh, just because it reminds me of uh, taking my daughter to the ballet when she was a little girl and that kind of thing. But with a, you know, as I said, uh, you can see what I really like at the uh, bill we've assembled for our Christmas Eve lessons and carols this year. Oh, MMF writes, thank you again for introducing us to the Nancy Sinatra version of We Need a Little Christmas. Uh, it's been nice to put the holiday preparations on hold for a few minutes and chill out. Yeah, you know, that song by Jerry Herman, which is from MAME, the big hit musical MAME, We Need a Little Christmas, right this very minute. Uh, candles, we need a little Christmas right this very minute. Candles in the window, carols on the spinet. <laughs> it drives me nuts, that line. Because spinet is only in there because it rhymes with minute. Who really wants to hear? When when was the last time you heard carols on the spinet? <laughs> so I, I dislike that song. And everyone does it in this super bouncy way. We need a little Christmas right this very minute. And Nancy, as she often does, hears something in a song that others don't. Like Bang Bang. As you know, Quentin Tarantino got this right. Um, and Lady Gaga has followed Nancy in this. Uh, bang, bang, uh, he shot me down was a big hit for Cher. Just bouncy, bouncy pop pop song written by Sonny. Um, and Nancy heard something else in it and uh, stripped it right down and did it with just a guitar and uh, at ballad tempo. And it was great. And Quentin Tarantino put it in whatever, it was a Kill Bill, whatever it was. And Lady Gaga does it in Nancy Sinatra style. Now, Nancy performed the same treatment. She thought we need a little Christmas right this very minute. Sounded rather sad and desperate. So she did this wistful, elegiac, melancholy version of we need a little Christmas, which is actually way better than the, the fake jollity with which it's usually sung. Anyway, MMF says, my question for you today is about a Rogers and Hart musical, Billy Rose's Jumbo. The 1962 movie was aired on TV the other day, and I was surprised that it didn't do better at the box office in its day. It has the star power of Doris Day and Jimmy Durante. It's got some great songs like The Most Beautiful Girl in the World, but it just seems to not grab your attention in the same way that Babes in Arms or Pal Joey did. Would you care to comment on why that is? Well, Jumbo... Uh, was written by Rogers and Hart, directed by my late friend George Abbott, uh, when he was just beginning his great run of hits with uh, uh, Rogers and Hart, because he did Pal Joey and all those other shows too. And they staged it in this uh, huge arena in New York on Broadway. With all, This is the stage show, 1935, and had all these circus animals in it, including an elephant. And the show ended every night with the elephant, with Jimmy Durante, who starred in both the show and the film 30 years later. He would lie on the stage and the elephant would put his foot on Jimmy Durante's head. Now, that's a Broadway stage show. And you're paying money and you are they're not only singing all these great Rogers and Hart songs live in front of you, but they've got an actual elephant on the stage and the elephant puts his foot on Jimmy Durante's head. Live. 
right? <laughs> and uh, you say what you like, but uh, that's uh, worth paying your money for. And when they, 30 years later, when they uh, do the film, this, you can't, that's not a reason to go and see a film because the elephant, the elephant isn't there in the room with you. And the elephant isn't, isn't, you know, putting his foot on Jimmy Durante's head live. Um, they changed, you know, they changed all, well, basically they tried to take what had been a sort of effective and sort of eccentric spectacle and, uh, and change it all around. The only real bit of the script they get is that at one point somebody's come to seize the circus and uh, take all the animals. And so Jimmy Durante is trying to sneak out with the elephant. So he's walking in front of the elephant and the elephant's sort of walking quietly behind him to get off. And someone goes, hey, where are you going with that elephant? And Jimmy Durante turns and goes, what elephant? <laughs> which got a big laugh in the theatre. And they kept that line in the film. And that's about the only thing they kept from the original. But I think it's as simple as that. That by the time it's the 1960s, you know, putting an elephant in a picture, whatever he's doing, even if he's doing a joke with Jimmy Durante, isn't, is, is just, you know, by then the technology of film was so good that nobody believes you. It's a bit, it, well, it's not exactly like the 40-minute... CGI battle scenes in uh, X-Men 37, but uh, having an elephant live on film isn't the same as having an elephant uh, live on stage. Um, uh, uh, let's see, what we got here? Oh, Michael writes, hi, Mark. Uh, Michael Cavino says, I hope you're feeling better each day. <laughs> no, although uh, thinking about Jimmy Durante, and what elephant did actually cheer me up. I received my Liberty Stick a few weeks ago, number 53, and it's fantastic. I particularly like the hole at the top for hanging it. Uh, good to know. Uh, Hunter Biden's attempt to channel Michael Corleone from Godfather 2 fell as flat as his father exiting Air Force One this morning. He and his lawyers well know that he does not get to dictate the terms of his testimony, but I'm sure the Beltway media will carry his water. Your thoughts. Thank you for these Q&A sessions. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Uh, yeah, you say that he doesn't get to dictate the terms of his testimony, but you would be surprised because everything is corrupt in Washington, which is why when Hillary Clinton uh, was questioned uh, by the U.S. Department of Justice over the emails, um, oh, Hillary Clinton's aides, yeah, they, they basically, uh, she dictated the terms for herself and for all her aides, and they would not be the terms you would get if you were to attract the attention of the U.S. Department of Justice. Now, in this case, he's uh, supposed to be testifying to Congress. And so he goes and he does this thing uh, explaining why he's not going to be going because they're just out to get him uh, and they're trying to turn his father's love for him uh, into 
something dark, as he said. And also that he wasn't, he said he wasn't terribly careful with how he spent his money, which is why, you know, he blew 200 grand on hookers or whatever it was. It's not really what he's spending it on. It's the fact that he has no reason to have 200 grand to spend on hookers. The only reason he does is he's on the take from people who want to uh, petition his dad. The question is, the, the only reason this is going to come up is, uh, if, uh, is if, the, if certain powers that be decide Joe Biden's got to go. And at that point, using Hunter Biden to remove Joe would be worth doing. On a related theme, uh, Chris Hall says, something making the rounds today are the results of a Rasmussen poll that suggests that up to 20% of mail-in ballots from 2020 were fraudulent. Now, for anyone who has paid attention to the fun shenanigans that occurred in 2020, this would not be a shock. But isn't the real story? Why report this now? I question the timing. Sure, it's Rasmussen, but could this be a bat signal to Joe from the elites that he should start thinking about retirement. I think they're, uh, you know, keeping their um, options open on that. But the fact is that this poll, uh, in which extraordinary numbers of people say they voted in states they did not reside in, uh, and again, you know, one perhaps one can make a couple of assumptions, you know. Uh, oh, they voted, you happen to live in California, um, but you decided to submit a mail-in ballot to Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania is a swing state and California isn't. So perhaps that's where all these uh, non-residents voted, in the, in the half dozen states in which the election is determined. But I'm struck by two things, you know. The uh, defense of what happened at the time from people like Bill Barr, Trump's attorney general, was always, oh yes, we, we may have seen some voter fraud, but not enough to change the result. Really? Really? Because that isn't the standard, you shameful prat, in any genuine a country with election integrity. So when, for example, they had one case, I think in Denmark, they had, they've just had one little case of election fraud, whatever it was, a few 20 years ago or whatever. When I say, I'm at that age where when I say 20 years ago, I probably mean 30 years ago. But whenever it was, they didn't say, oh, well, this isn't enough election fraud to change the result. They investigated the hell out of it and fixed it in a, so it wouldn't recur on a scale sufficient to change the result. Same thing with the French. After they had mail-in ballots uh, and they had shenanigans, as the Americans say, in Corsica. Again, not enough to change the result, but enough that's not the standard in a real uh, healthy electoral system. So the minute Bill Barr and... Oh, Brett Baer... I love Brett Baer, but when he said, well, we haven't seen anything sufficient to change the result, that's not the standard. And if you accept that as the standard, you're screwed. Uh, you're screwed in the way that Americans are screwed. And don't wave that constitution at me. There's no point having the greatest constitution 
in history if you've got the crappiest electoral system in the world. And that's what we're seeing now with, with uh, these things. Uh, Alyssa Angel says, uh, if you are a white elected official in Boston, would it be bad manners to crash Boston Mayor Wu's electeds of color only holiday party? If you haven't seen this story, it came up uh, today. They were holding a, uh, a secret holiday party uh, for... <laughs> uh, for elected electeds of color, which means legis elected legislatures, legislators of color um, on the Boston City Council. But they accidentally sent it to all of them, including the white guys who aren't invited. Um, and uh, so Elissa want I mean, th this is, you know, I love the, I love the way uh, progressive politics is uh, is is coming up with a. Uh, a, 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 a racial apartheid uh, that applies even to uh, the most, even even more so than the separate drinking fountains and everything. We're just doing it all. We're just doing it all again, just with the roles reversed. Um, but I actually have uh, crashed a, a people of color. Own this was a two thousand Democrat convention uh, in Los Angeles. Um, and I went to a, um, what do you call it, a, what was it called? I think it was the Black Congressional Caucus of the Democrat Party. And that was supposed to be uh, for people of color only. So they looked at me and said I couldn't get in. And I said, in fact, I was a person of color. And <laughs> my mother's family were black. And because I was... Uh, I had a foreign accent, so they weren't entirely sure where I was coming from. Uh, they didn't call me on it. And that's what all the people who aren't invited to the electeds of color party should be doing in in uh, Boston. I don't think I could get away with that now uh, because um, uh, I, I, with my low hemoglobin, I've got so little blood on me that I'm kind of going beyond white. Uh, and moving into the sort of see-through phase. Anyway, that's, uh, thank you for that. That has cheered me up, but certainly uh, people should not be putting up with, with that kind of thing. This is, I mean, this is just so stupid that the, the racial obsessions, who can sit where on the bus, who can sit where on the, all, it's all back now, except it's even better because if you belong to certain categories, like white you, you can't get on the bus or have a water fountain or you're just not coming to the... You know, uh, in 1940, uh, Boston was something like 97% white and it's now, I think, 42% white. And it's not one of those cities anyone thinks... Of. It has a generally sort of goodish reputation. But these are extraordinary demographic transformations in the space of one human lifetime. Extraordinary. Uh, Christmas at Stein Online. I mentioned that Denny Lane of the rock group Wings uh, required a GoFundMe page to pay his medical expenses. It's not unusual. That's certainly not unusual for songwriters and musicians. So did Dave Frischberg, who died a couple of years back. 
even though Freshbug's songs have been recorded by all manner of big stars from Barbara Streisand down. Um, I think I've mentioned before that a long time ago I got a call from a big-time producer who wanted to put together a review, a, uh, a New York theatre review of Dave Frischberg's songs, Peel Me a Grape, I'm Hip, My Attorney Bernie, Sweet Kentucky Ham, you are there. They uh, have a particular character and they're all um, uh, in a sort of Frischberg land and they're unified in theme and tone and all the rest of it and it would have been an interesting little project to work on. And the producer had asked Richard Maltby Jr. Richard's a very successful writer. He co-wrote uh, the blockbuster hit Miss Saigon and a lot of other things. Uh, but Richard, because of Miss Saigon, was very busy at that time. So he couldn't do the Frischberg project. And so was kind enough to suggest me instead. And so the producer wanted to know whether I'd be interested. And I said, oh, sure, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds great. This was... Uh, before the internet so a couple of days later I come downstairs and there is my fax machine if you remember what those were and there was a fax there that Dave Frischberg instead of uh, faxing it to the producer had accidentally faxed to me and it said uh, dear so-and-so yeah this sounds great Richard Maltby I know of course but this Stein guy sounds a real asshole uh, but do I hold that against a fellow? Not at all. Here's me and Jessica with a Dave Frischberg song for the season. The north winds blow Like ice, ain't it nice to be snowbound? No place to go. We're hip, yeah. deep in snow. We're alright, tucked in tight, cause we're snowbound. Yes, we're snowbound. The bad news is the weatherman says more bad weather. Snowbound. The good news is that here we are sucked in together. The corn is pumped. The clock is stopped. What a storm. What a sight. We'll keep warm through the night. Cause we're snowbound.
snowbound. snowbound. The good news is that here we are sucked in together. The corn is popped. That big old crop is stopped. Here's the wine like the fire. Half past nine, let's retire. Cause we're snowbound. seasonal song from me to you yours truly with miss jessica martin and the band conducted and arranged as always by kevin amos i called them at the time a large small jazz group Uh, but it is in fact the biggest band ever to record that song and with some nice solos by claire mcinerney on tenor sax pat white on trumpet don richardson on bass and dan thomas on guitar snowbound Words and music by Dave Frischberg. Christmas at Stein Online and the tail end of Hanukkah. Laura's links coming up tomorrow. Laura Rosen-Cohen rounds up the internet as nobody else can. And don't leave it too late to snaffle up one of our limited edition Stein Online Liberty Sticks for your Yuletide sweetheart. They're going fast, and when they're gone, they're gone. Stay safe, stay free, stay well. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.